Can you hear me? Yeah? Okay, good. Well, first off, Jesus is forever in our hearts, and what he did for us is amazing. Um, he is our hope. He is our salvation, and it's pretty amazing um, what Christ has done for us. So, I'm going to move your microphone a little bit, because I only need one. Okay. I'd stand down there, but I feel like I'm sitting in your lap when I'm down there, so this isn't my pompous, trust me. I'm more nervous up here than I am down there, but I feel like I'm right with you. Um, that said, uh, I don't know if you all heard, there's a gift bag back there on the table for the first-time visitors or guests that have never got one. I'm going to kind of show you what it is because I think it's kind of important and it's kind of neat. Um, you get, there's a coffee mug, okay, SBC, it's pretty nice, okay, um, and it's nothing incredibly, it's not like we went out and spent $400, but we did go out and think of you. There's a book called Done, and I'm totally stealing this from my old church that I used to uh, go to back in Connecticut, okay, and the pastor of that church actually wrote this book, and the book kind of, uh, it says what most religions don't tell you about the Bible, okay, um, it's kind of the liar, lunatic, or Lord um, argument, right, so it's an amazing book, and if you've never read it, I would suggest you do. Um, it's free, back on the table, in hard copy. And I believe, don't quote me on this because I don't want Pastor Kerry to call me, but I believe on Amazon it's free if you download it. So it's a really, really good book, and I would suggest everybody go out and take a listen and read it if you possibly can. And like I said, if you're a first-time visitor or guest, we'd love you to have one. Take it home with you. Nice little coffee mug so when you get up in the morning and you're cranky, you can think of us first, right? So, um, well, today I'm going to be speaking about salvation. Um, 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. And if you have a moment and you'd like to follow along, I'm going to go ahead and read 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. Oop, I passed it. Maybe I'm not. Okay. So, here we go. Concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced. To you, through those who preach the good news to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's go ahead and start off with a prayer. Lord, thank you for allowing us to come together and worship you today. Um, thank you for the privilege that we have here to gather and speak your name, to gather and basically show our affection and our love and our gratitude and our grace for the salvation that you've given us. Um, I'd also like to pray for uh, Sharon Larson this week. She's got a procedure going on, and I pray that you be with her and her family and that things go well, that she hears good news. And I pray for healing. Um, I pray for the landings, that you will protect them while they're away from home. You will bless them, and you will bring them home safely to us. We miss them, and we just like to have them back in our arms. I also pray for Andrew and Megan. Uh, as Andrew gets prepared tonight to get on a plane and go overseas to his new duty station for the next 9 to 12 months, I pray that you be with him, and you strengthen him, and you give him the courage to stand up, and preach the word when necessary. I pray for Megan that we gather around her and we provide for her and we comfort her and we give her strength 
and that she knows that she's not alone, that she has a loving church to rely on and lean on as well. I also pray for anyone here that is hurting, anyone here that is lost, anyone here that may have lost a loved one or may have lost um, their way, anyone here that, who needs you, who needs their heart open and who needs your words spoke to you, spoke to them from you. I pray that you bless Sunnyside in general, Lord, and that your spirit be upon us. Lastly, I pray that you give me the words to speak, open my mouth, and open the hearts and minds of those here today so that they can receive your blessing through your word. In Christ's name, amen. So, 1 Peter 1 through 10, uh, sorry, 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12 is uh, about the importance of salvation. It's about how important our salvation is to us, right? So let me start off by asking a question this morning. How important is your faith to you? How important is Jesus to you? I guess, actually the correct question would probably be, how important is your salvation? But all three questions are probably good questions. How important is your faith, Jesus? But how important is your salvation? If I were to go to your work and ask people, do they know you're saved? What would they say? If I were to ask your family members, do they know you're saved? What, what would they say? What about your friends or even your kids? If I went to ask your kids, hey, do you think mom and dad are believers in Jesus? Do you think mom and dad follow God? What would they say? That might be a hard one, right? Or how about your neighbors? Do you even know your neighbors? Have you talked to your neighbors? My wife one time had an evangelism course, and part of her evangelism course was she had to make a grid of her neighborhood, and she had to write down who her neighbors were, right? In each square, in each box, she had to write it down. Because in this evangelism course, so many people wanted to go overseas and spread the gospel. So many people wanted to tell everybody about Jesus. So many people wanted to talk about salvation to the world. But nobody wanted to go next door and join the mission field they're already in. See, our mission field is all around us. We don't have to go overseas. We don't have to go to the next state or the next city. We just have to go to the next house. Would you be able to write down all the people's names if I asked you to draw a grid? So I guess the question is, what do people know about you? Do they know more about your kids? Do they know their names, their ages, where they go to school, what their favorite hobby is? What do they know about your job? Do they know what you do for a living? What your biggest complaint is? Do they know whether or not you like your job or whether or not you hate your job? Do they even know what you do at work? Do they know how much you make? When you talk, what do you talk about? And what do your actions say about you? Because the reality is, if salvation is important to you, yes, you might talk to people about your kids, and that's okay and talk to them about work, and that's okay. But if they know more about every intimate detail of your life, besides the fact that you're saved, there might be an issue. If they don't know you're a Christian, there might be an issue. If they can't see you live out your faith, there might be an issue. When you go home at night, and, and you're tired, and you get off work, and the kids go to bed, do you sit down and turn the TV on? And that's how you relax, that's how you recharge, that's how you rejuvenate. Or do you open up God's word and wash yourself in the word, right? God tells us to do that. 
on the weekends when you're tired, do you go take a nap or do you look out your window and you see your neighbor who is all alone? He hasn't anybody to help him. His yard's overgrown. The leaves are building up. Do you go help him? Are you living out your faith? Do you tell people about Jesus and what he's done for you? Or do you complain? Have you let God be in control of your life or do you try to do it all on your own without trusting him? See, salvation is very important and what it means to us is very important. And if we're not careful, we'll lose the sense of gratitude for our salvation. We get complacent, right? Someone once said, familiarity breeds contempt. How true. Do we come to church, sit in pews, go through the motions and go home? Are you here because you want to be fed? Or because it's just part of your routine? We should never lose our joy for our salvation. Psalms 96.2 says, Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. When life is overwhelming and crushing, we should return to the hope and joy we have in our salvation. We should return to what brings us hope, what brings us joy, our salvation in Christ. All these songs today, they were about salvation. This whole book in front of you, it's about salvation. It's about living a life for Christ. So in verses 10 through 12, Peter is trying to impress upon us how important this salvation we've been given is. Now before we focus on verses 10 through 12, I just want to briefly review what we talked about last time in verses 1 through 9. If you remember, Peter's writing a letter to, in Rome to some people on the outskirts of Rome, what is now modern Turkey, right? Northern Turkey, modern day. Um, a boy named Nero, but about the age of 16, comes to power. About 10 years later, he decides, I want to rebuild Rome. The Senate says no. He acts like a child. He sets it on fire and kills a whole lot of people, right? So because of that, people were very upset. And they needed, Nero thought, I, I'm going to get blamed and I'm going to get killed next, so i got to have someone to point the finger at, right? So Nero starts pointing the finger at Christians, right? The reason he was persecuting them um, was for the scapegoat, but he also picked them since Rome was already persecuting Christians because they didn't accept the state religion, right? You remember that the Christians kind of stood out. Their salvation, they were living out their salvation on a daily basis, and that's what made them stand out in the crowd. That's what made them look rebellious to Rome. And Rome really didn't care what you did as long as you weren't rebellious, as long as you didn't fight back against the system, as long as Rome did what they wanted to do, you could do what you wanted to do. But when it conflicted, I don't think so. Rome took over, right? So Peter's writing to the, or I'm sorry, Peter's writing to these Christians, right, and that Nero's starting to persecute. And just to recap on the persecution, um, Nero was feeding them to live animals. If you remember that, but he was just throwing them in pits and they were being eaten alive just for sport, for fun, right? He was crucifying them. And just, I know we think crucifying, that's a horrible thing. I want you to stop and think for a minute what crucifixion was. Crucifixion was reserved for the lowest of the low. Crucifixion was reserved for the people that were outcast in society. Crucifixion, you, the way you had to think about someone in the Roman Empire to crucify them really told you a lot about your feelings, right? So to crucify these people, what Nero in essence was saying, these are scum, the lowest of the low, right? So much so, he cared so little for them that he would dip them in wax, remember? He would impale them and light them on fire to light his garden at night in a Roman palace. They were, in essence, human candles, right? 
So Peter wrote this letter to an extremely persecuted group of both a mixture of Christian Jews and Gentile believers on the outskirts of the Roman Empire because he knew what was coming their way. The persecution, like a rock, if you drop it in the water, it makes waves, and it just starts to circle out. It really started in the center, and he knew it was coming their way, so he wrote this letter to them, warning them, right? The overall purpose of this letter was to point them toward the hope they have in their eternal salvation and instruct them on how to live a godly life in a hostile world, right? He was trying to help them understand this world hates you, and if you are saved, you're going to be persecuted, all those who wish to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, right? 1 Timothy 3.12. So more specifically, the purpose in this opening chapter is the greatness of their salvation. This is where their hope comes from. This is how they can choose joy, because of the knowledge of their ultimate future. This is also the reason they don't feel like they fit into society, Right? Salvation, if you remember, is Peter's way of saying, you're saved, you have hope, you're saved, your ultimate future is secure, you're saved, no matter what you go through here in life, you're saved. So you can bear all the burdens, all the stress, all the anxiety. You can do this. Now you also have to remember, this is also why Peter referred to them as aliens and strangers, right? Because their salvation made it so that they didn't fit in. They were in a, again, hostile world, a hostile land. And they were hated by everyone. And I know when I say hated by everyone, um, you automatically think, well, the Romans hated them. Guess what? The Jews hated them too. The Jews didn't like them. Because the Christians basically told the Jews, you killed God. That's going to upset you. And I don't know if you remember, but a guy named Saul, some years earlier, was going around literally killing Christians. The Jews hated Christians. The Romans hated Christians. There was nowhere they could turn to fit in. They had no hope here on earth, right? So Peter was reminding, him in the first nine, reminding them in the first nine verses that their hope is in their eternal salvation. Their hope is in what Christ has accomplished on the cross, right? So they were in constant struggles daily and suffered greatly for the choice to put their faith in Christ. And Peter was reminding them, no matter what happens here on earth, they can choose joy based on their knowledge of that salvation. It is secure, it is imperishable, and it is protected by God himself. I don't know if you remember, but it's kept in heaven, right? It doesn't fade, it doesn't perish. God is the protector and author of our faith, right? Once saved, always saved. You didn't earn it, you don't deserve it, and you can't get rid of it. Once you accept that salvation, once you hold on to that, grasp that, accept what Christ has done for you, and accept his forgiveness, you're in the family, you get an inheritance. You're a child of God, right? Jesus promised that he would save us. John 6.39 says, This is the will of the Father who sent me, that, all of, that of all he has given us, given me, I should not lose anything, but should raise it up at the last day. What Peter's trying to say is, God gave me all those who accepted faith in me, and I will make sure that they are in heaven with me. If I'm the one that protects it, I'm the one that guards it, I'm the one that makes sure that you have it, you can be sure and you can be secure that it's going to happen. I'm God, right? Peter was also telling them not to lose heart because sometimes God allows suffering to make us stronger. If you remember that we get 
tested. Our faith gets tested. We go through trials, right? God either allows or causes everything in our lives, right? He doesn't tempt us, but he definitely tests us. And he allows things to come into our life that may be hard. And some of the reasons he allows it, if you might remember, is to strengthen our faith. Last time we talked about the weightlifter. When you lift weights, your muscles are literally torn in half. You have tears. And then protein grows in and they get bigger and they get stronger. And you get so you can lift more weights. And that's basically what God's trying to do. He's trying to get us to be able to, quote unquote, lift more weights, right? Because I don't know if you've noticed, those who are older, trials get stronger and they get harder and they get tougher as you move on in life, right? And God knows this. He knows that life is a consistent trial, up and down, up and down, and that there's more bad than good, but that with him, you can choose joy. Because of him, you can choose joy, right? Also, trials and suffering strengthen our faith by allowing us to see how God handles our pain, right? He kind of glorifies himself in our trials. He, he allows us to go through things, and then he shows us how he's rescuing us from our trials. And talk about glorifying God, right? And lastly, he also allows us to go through trials so that when we meet someone else going through that same trial, we can empathize, right? We can come alongside and help them and build them up because we are being sent out, again, to live out our salvation, and our salvation, our lives should reflect that by how we treat others, by how we treat God, by the standard we hold ourselves to and the standard we hold others to. We are to trust him and love him, even when things seem dark and life seems impossible, because he is always with us and it is for our good and his glory. We can't see him, we can't touch him, yet we still believe in him. And don't get me wrong, it's not a blind faith, right? Our faith is not a blind faith. It's a living hope. Remember that you may not be able to explain, but it's real. If you're saved, you know it's real. As real as this podium, these lights, these walls. God is real. and Our salvation is real, right? And we need to remember that. In verses 10 through 12, Peter continues to examine the salvation that he spoke of in verses 1 through 9. Here he's trying to explain how important and valuable our salvation is and how we are to think about the message of salvation. He does this by looking at four different perspectives of those involved in the message of salvation. The prophets, the Holy Spirit, the apostles, and the angels, right? He, he lists four different viewpoints of this salvation, First, he tells us that this salvation was the focus of the prophet's study. He starts off with concerning this salvation, concerning this salvation, the salvation that I just got done telling you about, the salvation that I just told you is secure in heaven and you can't get rid of, you can't lose. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and his subsequent glories. Now the prophets, the prophets were God's mouthpiece in the Old Testament, right? They were sent out among the Jews to correct, to encourage, right? And they were also sent out to instruct. So these prophets knew God. They were constantly telling people about the grace that was come. They were constantly telling people about salvation. They were constantly telling people 
all about God. Yet, they didn't fully understand the gospel. They didn't fully understand that grace. And they constantly were searching the scriptures and trying to inquire about the reality of that, right? About the fulfillment of that salvation, the fulfillment of that grace in the future. Moses speaks of this grace himself in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 18.15, and he says, And the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. Isaiah 53.5 and 6 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our inequities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the inequity of us all. Again, salvation by grace through faith. And these prophets preached of it. And they searched for it. And they wanted to understand it. Right? And although they fully trusted in God and his grace to come, they never fully understood it or realized what all that would entail. Matthew 13, 17 says, For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. This salvation was so important to them that all they did was open God's word and study it. They desired to know God. They were living out their faith daily through their deeds and their words. See, the prophets, they didn't have all the scriptures in one place. We do. It's right here. And it, it makes me wonder, are we searching the scriptures daily to find God? When we live out our faith, is, is part of our faith and part of our salvation to open the Bible and study his word? If not, maybe that should be a question for our own hearts, Right? As it continues in verse 11 to say, the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you. This is pretty neat. The spirit, it says, right? The spirit of Christ in them. The spirit is indicating a couple of things. One, that God's Holy Spirit was the revelation to them, right? God's Holy Spirit was giving them revelation. What that means is the divine the, the Old Testament is divinely inspired. So when Peter's writing this, and he's saying that the Spirit gave them divine revelation, he's not talking about the New Testament, because literally he's writing the New Testament as he's writing this, right? So he's talking about the Old Testament. 2 Peter 1.21 says, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but by holy men of God spoke, and as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. What that means is these people of old were inspired by God's word. These people of old had the spirit living in them and that we can trust the Bible, the entire Bible, as God's word. Not just the New Testament. As so often we think, well, the New Testament was inspired by God's word and the Old Testament was just a bunch of old guys that wrote about the history of God, right? No, the Old Testament was divinely inspired by God as well, right? That should give us hope and peace as well so that when we read the Old Testament, we can understand it and we can trust in it. Second, God made it clear to the prophets that their message was for a future generation, not theirs. No matter how much they searched, they would never fully understand because the complete gospel message would not be revealed to them until a later time, right? God, God holds things back from us sometimes. Um, I, oftentimes I wonder if God showed us the road from where we're at to where we're going to be, would we just sit down and say, I'm good. I'm not going down that road because I can see all the troubles and all the trials and all the hard times between here and there, right? When the Bible says that 
he is a lamp unto my feet. What it means is he literally lights one step at a time. And he does that because he knows we're cowards. He knows that there's no way we would travel down that path. He knows that if he showed us everything, we would be so scared, we wouldn't move. But he also knows he's going to be with us, so he doesn't need to show us the whole road. He just needs to show us the end so that we have hope. He needs to show us the end so that we have something to look forward to, right? So that when things get hard, we don't give up. God promised Abraham that it was through his offspring that a Messiah would come. Abraham was the father of faith. And and God promised him a grace to come. He, He promised him a salvation to come, right? It was a promise to come so that these prophets knew that it was a later date. Which is really cool because this was all God's plan. And he is and has always been in control, that means, right? God's in control of everything. We don't have to be scared. God's in control. God's got this. When we get scared, we, get, we freak out. We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, we come to a situation and we say, God, I don't know how to handle this. Uh, I'm just going to take control. He says, no, I'm in control. Don't worry about it. I've got this. You don't have to worry. I've, this is my plan all along, right? And too often we also think that we are the center of the story. We're not the center of the story. God is. We're not the object of the story. God is. He's just allowing us to be part of the story. He loves us, so he allows us to come alongside of him, and he allows us to be used, right? But he's in control, ultimately. Verse 12 continues, And these things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So what do these things refer to? These things is referring to salvation and grace through faith. The apostles are the ones preaching the good news to them. So what it's saying is these things, this salvation that has now been announced to you through those who preach the good news. The apostles came along and preached the good news. The apostles were inspired by the Holy Spirit as well, right? This says the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So now what he's telling us, not only was the Old Testament inspired by God, the New Testament was inspired by the Holy Spirit as well. So we can trust both. We can trust these men that are telling us about the good news of Jesus Christ. We can trust that it's true. We can trust that God knows what he's doing. Because the Holy Spirit has been involved in all of it, right? And the good news is the death, resurrection, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? For our sins. See, the apostles were given the great commission to go preach the gospel. They were to tell the world about salvation, right? They weren't just to sit around. Matthew 28, verse 18, when he says, go out to the nations and make disciples. He didn't say, hey, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do for you. Then I'm going to die on a cross. Then I'm going to raise from the dead. I'm going to go sit at the right hand of God in heaven. And if you guys just kind of get together and hang out in church once a week on Sunday mornings, that'd be cool. No. No, he says, get up and go out to the nations. Make disciples. I mean, how important is your faith to you that that you would sit and do nothing? He wants you to get up. He wants you to have such in awe of what he's done and such wonder of what he's done for you that you'll get up and you will live out your faith. In the first recorded sermon ever, Peter called for repentance and baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Acts 2, 38 and 39. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. 
and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord your God will call. Think about that. Paul also wrote in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 and 2, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Again, the common theme is salvation and grace through faith. These men got up and went out and preached the word. Nowhere does it say they, they hung out and waited for people to come to them. Nowhere does it say, I prayed God would bring them to my house, and then I told them about who Jesus was. They were living out their faith on a daily basis. They were willing to sacrifice everything because that's how important their salvation was to them. Every day, in every way, they lived out their faith. Verse 12 ends with things into which angels long to look. Kind of a strange ending, right? Things in, I mean, can't angels see us? I mean, this morning in Sunday school, we actually read about when Jacob tricked his brother, and he thought his brother was going to kill him, so he took off. He's like, I'm out. This guy's going to kill me, Mom. You told me to trick Dad and to receive and everything that uh, Esau was supposed to get. Now Esau's mad. I'm scared, so I'm gone. And he's laying in the field. He uses a rock for a pillow, and he, and he falls asleep. And God comes to him a dream, and he, and he reveals to them, reveals to Jacob, that he can see angels ascending and descending as on a ladder into heaven and down to earth, right? So angels are all around us. That's kind of comforting. A little bit of a willies, but kind of comforting, right? They're all around us. They can see us. They know what we're doing. So that's weird to say angels long to look. These things into which angels oh, long to look. I'm sorry. So... If they can see us, but we don't always get to see them, and we desire what they know and they desire what we know, why would they long to look into it, right? Because we desire to know what they know. They're in heaven. They're, they're in communion with the triune God. We so badly want to know what that's like. We so badly want to know what God looks like. We want to know what God feels like. We want to know how it is to be in the presence. We have so many questions, right? Another thing we also talked about this morning in Sunday school was the cheat sheet. The Bible doesn't really come with the cheat sheet, right? I can't wait to get to heaven and talk to God and ask for the cheat sheet. It's very difficult sometimes to understand what God's trying to portray, but the angels are with him daily and they know, right? But they want to know what we know. They want to know about what we have, right? Things is referring to the salvation and grace through faith. That's what things are. Right? So, and, and you have to think that salvation isn't for angels. The angels don't, don't need salvation. And the fallen angels don't get salvation. So why would they want to know, right? Well, when it says they long to look, the word long here means a strong desire, overpowering impulse that is not easily satisfied. Right? The word look literally means to stretch one's head forward or to bend down. And the best way I can describe this is, if you've ever, we've all been around somebody who's, who's uh, been talking about the military. Okay, I'm going to use the military. Pardon me, but I was in it, so it's easier for me to relate, right? So we've all been around somebody. And what if that person starts talking about war, right? We all have this weird, overwhelming desire to understand war. And if we're sitting around a table with a few people who have been there and done that, you start to lean in. 
You want to hear what they have to say, right? You're trying to figure out what it's all about. You really, you'll never really know. You'll never really understand because you haven't been there, right? But you still desire. You have this overwhelming, overpowering impulse to figure out what is this all about, right? And that's what the angels want to figure out. They're trying to figure this out, right? What they're trying to do because they were created to glorify God is to understand more about God's redemption, redemptive plan and his salvation for human beings so that they can glorify him even more, right? They're not interested because they're jealous. They're not interested because they don't like us. No, they're interested because they want to glorify God and they want to praise him for what he's done, the salvation he's given us, right? The, and it's not that angels are not involved in God's plan for salvation, right? They just don't understand it like we do because they don't have a need for it. I mean, if you look around in the Bible, you can, it's very clear that angels are all over the Bible. They announced the birth of Christ. They ministered to him in the desert. They were at the grave when he rose from the dead. Uh, they were at his ascension of Christ in the heaven. They rejoice when a sinner is saved. There's angels everywhere at all times, at all moments, all around us, right? So angels are definitely part of God's message. It's so important that God sent angels to tell us about it. So the list goes on and on when it comes to their involvement. And the questions you might be asking right now is, what does this all mean? And how does it relate to me and apply to my life, right? You've got the prophets. You've got the Holy Spirit. You've got the apostles. You've got the angels. This salvation is so important that people are studying it, longing to look into it. It's been divinely inspired and given to us, right? And because of that question, I'd like to leave you with these four main points today, right? God has given us a way to know and understand our salvation in his word. His word. Every day should be impossible without his word. Every day that you wake up and don't take a breath should be the same feeling you get when you wake up and you don't read the Bible. Now, you don't have to do it in the morning. You don't have to do it in the afternoon. You have to do it at night. Do whatever you want. God gave us his divinely inspired word. The gift this is right here is immeasurable. And for us not to take advantage of it on a daily basis is almost blasphemy. The prophets would have given anything to have this. If you're sad, if you're upset, if you're angry, if you're confused, if you're disappointed, here it is. Here's the answers, right? Here's the answers. Doesn't come with a cheat sheet, but here's the answers, okay? Number two, God is in control of our salvation. His Holy Spirit living in us is his gift to us so we can understand and live out our salvation, right? How awesome is it that God controls our salvation? God is the author of our faith. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our faith. When we become saved, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside us, and he gives us the ability to understand his word. How amazing is that? God loves you so much. He's giving you his Holy Spirit so that you can understand his word. This salvation is amazing, and it's important. Number three, we are expected to live out our salvation in our actions as well as our words so that we might bring others to know Christ as well. God didn't save you that you could live an easy life, right? 
God didn't save you so you would be, quote, unquote, good. God didn't save you to take away all your problems. God saved you. And you should be so grateful for that salvation that there's nothing that could stop you from going out to the world and telling everyone about it and making disciples. And I challenge you, I challenge you, that if you're okay with the status quo, you need to inspect your heart. You need to take a better look at what's going on in your life. If you're okay with coming and going, that's not enough. That's not enough. And then you have to ask yourself, how important is Christ to me? How important is my salvation? How thankful am I that God saved me? I'll be honest with you. Peter or Paul says, I'm the worst, right, of all sinners. Daily, I feel like that. I'm not worthy to stand up here. We're all broken vessels. No one's better than the other. In fact, I feel worse most days. I feel worse most days because I often read it and know it and understand it. And I'm still an idiot, and I still don't do it. So, God loves you, and he gave his son for you. He loves you so much that he was willing to die for you. Now, I know you think, well, that's a weird point. Why is that point number four? Well, we just talked about he didn't die for the angels. What do we think about when we think about angels? We think, wow, these are pretty awesome beings. These are amazing, uh, angelic, majestic beings, right? God died for you. There are fallen angels that will burn in hell. Hell was actually created for the fallen angels, Satan and his fallen angels. That's why hell was created. And he didn't want us to go to hell, so he died for us. Not for them, for us. Think about that. We are more important to him than fallen angels. He sent his only son to die on a cross. I can't even understand that, right? For us, not for angels. So, when you read, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, it's talking about you. It's talking about me. It's talking about the people outside these walls. And if you keep that to yourself, shame on you. If your salvation, if you can't understand your salvation is so important that the prophets searched for it, the angels study it, the Holy Spirit protects it, and the apostles lived it. If you don't understand that, you need to come talk to me afterwards we got to have a conversation because this salvation is very important. Very important. And if you're here today and you don't know who Christ is, if you're here today and you've never experienced that salvation, if you're here and you don't know who Jesus is, I'm going to tell you, he's God in the flesh. You're a sinner. You've broken his law. He came down here and died upon the cross so that you could be forgiven for your sins because he did not wish that any should perish. For we have all sinned, right? We've all turned aside. He doesn't want anybody to perish. So he died on the cross, the most miserable, horrible death you can imagine, so that you could be saved, so that you could go to heaven. Not the angels, you. He wants you to accept that trust, that faith. He wants you to accept that forgiveness, to put your faith and trust in him for eternal salvation. 
And I'm going to tell you, if there's anybody here today that wants to know more about who Jesus is, and if there's anybody here today that has never put their faith and hope and trust in Christ for your salvation, come find me afterwards. I want to pray with you. I want to talk to you. I want to tell you about Jesus. I want to tell you something that will change your world. And for the rest of us who have, I challenge you to change your world. I challenge you, when you get home tonight, make that grid. See how many neighbors you can write down. Do you know them? Do you know their names? Do you know how old they are? Do you know if they're saved? Do you care? Because God does. God died for them too. And if you're thankful and you love him and your salvation means something to you, you'll go live it. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for everything you've given us. I thank you for the salvation. I thank you for how important it is in our lives. I ask, Lord, that you give us the strength, the opportunity to go out and live out that faith, to go out and live out our salvation, to go out and tell the world and make disciples because there's nothing more important than knowing you. We have the cure. We have the cure for sin and death. We have what you've given us, not by our own but by you, by your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would give us a, a desire to study Scripture, to study your word, to know more about you, to be able to speak clearly as one who rightly, rightly studies the word. Lord, I just pray with all my heart if there's someone in here right now who doesn't know you or who's never put their faith and trust in you, that you will move in their heart and bring them forth to a new salvation in Christ. As we leave here today, Lord, I pray that we use what you've taught us throughout the week, that we ponder on it, and that we desire to serve you in all we say and do. In Christ's name, amen.